0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films, every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. General magic takes us back to the 1990s as a team of former Apple employees form their own company and prepare to take on Silicon Valley. From the very first smartphones to touchscreens to e-commerce to eBay to emoticons, the ideas that dominate the tech industry and our day-to-day lives were born at this company called General Magic. General Magic is a film that tells us the story of great vision, grave betrayals, and epic failure that changed the world forever. And with that, we're joined today by one of the co-directors of the film. That would be Matt Maud. Uh, the other. Oh, I- as as, I, as well as one of the subjects of the film, and that would be Mark Peratt. Uh To both of you, welcome to Film School. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, I'll start with you, uh, Matt, in terms of your introduction into the world of General Magic. How did you come upon this story? How did you and Sarah decide to that this was a, a subject worthy of a, a documentary film project?
1: So my story of how I came into making the film is mm. far less interesting than Sarah's. Uh, So Sarah and I directed and produced the film together. So if you'll allow me to just kind of suspend disbelief for a second and embody Sarah for one moment. Um, So Sarah came into uh, General Magic's orbit in 1992. She was a young filmmaker based in Maine and she was asked by her boss to go and fly to California uh, because he'd been asked to uh, create some documentary footage of a secretive startup. They needed some footage to put together for a marketing proposal that they were um, unveiling at a New York launch. And so Sarah traveled with this filmmaker, uh, a guy called David Hoffman, and they started to shoot some behind the scenes footage in this little startup. And Sarah was just blown away by this company. She'd come from filming and, and seeing corporations on the East Coast where everyone was very buttoned up and they were wearing suits and everything was very official. And then she came to Silicon Valley where everybody was wearing board shorts and T-shirts and people were skateboarding around and there was animals like pet rabbits and the pet parrot and everything was just a sweaty mess, basically. And she completely fell in love with it, uh, so much to the extent that she met her future husband uh, while she was working there. So Sarah and I kind of joke about it, that she's been making this film for 25 years um, <laughs> because all of the people that she met fast became friends of hers, people that she stayed in contact with for years decades afterwards and it was always in the back of her head that she thought that this would make a fantastic film and it wasn't until there was an unfortunate passing of one of the people that worked at General Magic that she thought okay this is the time to make the film we, we, we can't lose anybody else uh, this is a story that needs to get told now and so she started to kind of put out sort of feelers for it and I uh was a filmmaker uh, working in London and in the States, doing a lot of commercials, mm. and I took a month off from work. Uh, I was in New York at the time. I crashed the Bachelorette party, and one of the people <laughs> I met there said, "I'm just about to start making a documentary feature film. Have you ever done that before?" And so I asked an avalanche of questions, asked to be introduced to Sarah, and in a really quick 45 minute meeting, I got hired onto the project. Um, because I felt that there was a huge emotional potential in the story. I think all the technological things are really interesting, but it is really the emotions that happen over the course of the film that I think makes it a universal story. And so I think I, I worked it out from the day I heard about the film in New York to the day we premiered it at the Tribeca Film Festival was exactly three years. So yeah, it was a, it's been a crazy little ride.
0: Well, well let's bring it into the conversation the CEO of this incredible company uh, General of General Magic, and that would be Mark Peratt. Mark, tell us a little bit about, uh, well, you were there when Sarah started this project, but uh, first of all, before we get too far, uh, before I ask the question, um, I want to just say what a commanding presence you are in the film, not only as the subject of the film, but also in your in your vision for the company, which we see articulated by yourself and others in the film and how how it echoes to this day, what you were talking about and what you are about. But uh, it, in terms of when you met Sarah or just uh, if you want to give us a kind of a background, more of a sort of filling in, uh, backfilling, if you will, the, the, the story behind how General Magic came into being.
2: We had actually no idea that, that anything that we were doing would be, turn up in a film 25 years later. The, the, the essential vision that carried us into making the company, spinning out the company from Apple, um, came quite clearly uh, to me and, and, and also others uh, when they joined of something that we now know as true and correct, which is everyone has a smartphone. That smartphone is connecting everyone to everyone and to an environment of, sort of information and knowledge and companies and commerce and all kinds of things. We saw that. I, sorry, modestly, I must say, saw that quite clearly and, and arrived at that after years of, of thinking about the information society, where we're going as a society. And when I saw it, it became inevitable. It was something that I simply was gripped. I had to go do. So I joined Apple. Within a couple of years, had assembled all the ideas and the team, part of the team, And we, the board of directors let us spin out, we spun out and created the company. It was behind the clarity of the vision and the clarity of the correctness of the vision Mm -hmm. that these great people came and joined us. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how it all happened.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to describe some of the people that are were part of this original team of people. And uh, I will not do a very good job of describing just how important they were, but I'll just throw out some names and feel free to chime in with their sort of their contributions. But let's start with Andy Hertzfeld.
2: Sure. Well, there's a famous photo of Steve Jobs uh, in the Mac team, in the first Mac. And there are seven people there, and three of them joined General Magic. Wow. Of the original Mac, of the original Mac team, Andy, herself, Bill Atkinson, and Joanna Hoffman. And in those days, even though it was only, you know, sort of 1991, there were so few programmers on the planet that there was a there were lists like the top 10 programmers on the planet. <laughs> and Bill and Andy were two of the 10. If you can imagine. So they, to their credit, when I explained this notion that this, was, you know, beautiful handheld telephone, we're going to reinvent everything, and explain that, what I'd been thinking about and seeing, and also showing them some of the drawings and some of the things I'd written. To their credit, they thought, in, almost in, within a couple of days, they said, yep, we're joining. They had resisted doing things with other companies, or other ideas, because they had been involved in such a massive uh, undertaking to ship the Mac that they were, in their words, waiting for the next big thing that was that large, that interesting. And uh, and the general magic idea was it, and they joined. And so Andy and Bill and Joanna and others came. And because of their sort of rock star status, celebrity status, many other top engineers came. Easily, and they—they they were flooding us. Actually, with hmm, we want to work here. <laughs> uh, General Magic became uh, became one of the hottest, if not the hottest, place for a couple of years to go work for a lot of super smart people.
0: I w- in this part of the story, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on you for um, t- in navigating this part of the story because the impetus to leave Apple and start General Magic it was a sort of a it appears to me a confluence of things that were happening. One is that. There was some turmoil within Apple in terms of rolling out its product. And correct me if I'm incorrect in 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 what I'm in the assessment here, and that they had fired Steve Jobs. The board had fired Steve Jobs for, as the head of Apple, and they brought in John Scully. And is that is that generally why you and the others thought, thought this was an opportunity or a, a time to take? Uh, this opportunity up, or was there something else involved in that?
2: Generally, you're, you're spot on. Apple was in chaos. Uh, it was losing market share. It was down to, I think, 4% market share. The engineers and many people were in a state of disarray and shocked after Steve Jobs left, became political. And I came in in 1988 um, and said sort of, in, you know, politically incorrect. I said, "Well, what's the future of Apple beyond the personal computer? Because the personal computer is not it by itself." And then began to you know, sort of spin and develop this notion of, of uh, the smartphone and the environment. That was not popular at Apple to be to, for some for some guy that never heard of to come in and say the future of Apple is something that you're not working on. Mm. The few people that saw it saw it. The others didn't, and it, it became very clear to me that we were running, we were going to run a of the culture the dominant culture, and I didn't want to do that. And so uh, John Scully um, introduced me to the board, all the board members, and they voted to do a spin-out. I, I proposed a spin-out so that I wouldn't interfere with the dominant culture. They agreed, and off we went.
0: Mm.
2: And that's, that's a, So it was out of the turmoil of Apple and that, that there was an opportunity to say, "You know we shouldn't be here." we would simply interfere with what you need to go do, which is figure out the personal computer, the Mac, which they
0: did. I'm just going to throw in a personal sort of anecdote here because it was around this time that you're talking about, 1998, 99. Um, my girlfriend at the time was considering a, a, a personal computer, and I was had always been an Apple person, so I was trying to talk her into buying it and buying one, and she said, well, I'm not sure they're going to be around. Why would I buy a computer that there may not be I may not be able to get maintenance on? Now, in today's two thousand and nineteen context, it sounds bizarre now, but at the time what you're describing, she literally was was resistant to buying an Apple computer for that reason that you're describing. So Yeah,
2: and I'm actually talking about ten years before that, because I joined Apple in nineteen eighty eight. Right. And the chaos was on was on, going on there and it's true. There was there was actually, you know, sort of existential questions about 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 Apple, but you know today, you know Apple flirting with a trillion dollar market cap. Uh, half of that market cap, if not more, mar- market capitalization, value in the market, uh, comes from the iPhone. So, so in some sense, it's exactly what happened that the Mac was was eclipsed by this new environment that has become Apple's success. And I'm very, very, all of us who worked on it, like, you know, couldn't are really happy about that because. It's being done. As Joanna Hoffman said in the film, "You know, if I knew it would be done right uh, by Steve and Apple, and and our vision would come to come to light, I'd feel a lot better about the fact that we didn't we didn't get it over real life."
0: Yeah,
2: and that's how I feel also.
0: Yeah, well, you should. it's oh, incredible. And I, I, I I'll come back to you with, with uh, more about that. But uh, Matt, Matt Ahmad, uh, I want to talk to you about in terms of putting this story together again, sort of. Uh, bringing the team back together, you know, the that uh, is in the film. One of the things about this film that is so compelling, it's such an entertaining film. It's such an incredible sort of overview of the era, but not only the way that our whole society has shifted into this acceptance of th- these technologies and how integral they are to our, to our lives now. But I'm just kind of curious about, uh, as you went through the different people, reconnecting with them on this, what was the sort of level of interest that you were receiving from Megan Smith and Tony Fidel and Joanna Hoffman in terms of wanting to go back over this story with you and uh, Sarah as filmmakers?
1: Uh, we traded off the currency of uh, the the people that were part of the producer teams. So uh, I am one of three musketeers. Um, Sarah and I directed and produced the film, but the executive producer, it's a guy called Michael Stern, uh, is the third Musketeer, and he's actually in General Magic. The film, uh, he was the, the chief counsel, um, the lawyer there, um, and then uh, a woman called Dee Gardetti, who was the first employee of General Magic. She was head of HR at General Magic, and they got in contact with all the people, that worked at General Magic and said, we want to make this film and we want to make a truthful representation of the story. Would you like to be in it? And the thing that amazed me uh, coming into the film was that for something that you would, you know, from the outside, inverted commas, see as a a failure, inverted commas, um, the people that worked at General Magic see it as this kind of almost university-like experience. It was part of their formative years where they actually met their tribe. They came together with people that were so like-minded and so passionate about what they were doing. And if you put them all into one building, it was like people discovering their best friends, people that they always thought could have existed, actually did exist, and they worked together. And so they would have these reunions every year, every 18 months, in which they would all get together and trade stories about the past. And they're so involved in each other's lives that they see General Magic as this incredibly positive, emotional experience in their lives. And so the idea of us making a film and bringing back people together, I think most people really lent into and were really excited about. But it was because of people like Mike and Sarah and Dee who, who put themselves into making the film that they felt like this was you know a trustworthy thing to do. It's really interesting, though, kind of making the film. You think that trust is something that's just established once. Trust, like any relationship, any emotion, is, is something that keeps on evolving, and you have to keep on showing that you are trustworthy. And so we would share snippets of the film with the characters in the film to sort of say, look, this is this is what we're making. Do you feel like this is a truthful representation of it, even if it might be hurtful to watch it or, or kind of hard to watch it? Is it something that's truthful? And again and again, we were told that that was the most important thing that we should be doing. Um, so yeah, it was it was amazing. You know, they, they, you say with documentaries that ninety percent of making a film is access, and ten percent is making sure that the record button is on. <laughs> um, you know, my my ten percent was pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, when you've got people that are, are so willing and so open to to talk very vulnerably about uh, you know hard things that have happened in their lives.
0: Yeah. I want to remind our listeners we're, we're speaking with uh, the co-director of the film General Magic, and that would be Matt Maud, and as well as the co-director Sarah Karouche, who's no, not with us today, but we're speaking also with one of the subjects of the film, Mark Perret. I'm going to ask, Matt, in terms of just sort of the reaction that you've gotten from not only the participants, but in a general sense, what you've gotten in terms of the reaction to the film from uh, Silicon Valley people or people who worked in peripherally or at uh, General Magic, what's the reaction been to the film so far?
1: Particularly to the participants within the film, I think it's been a very cathartic experience. It's really hard to come back to an experience that happened 20, 25 years ago um, and, and sort of kind of shake your your personal narrative of it. I think we all have gone through different failures in our lives, whether that be in professional life or in our personal lives. And I think we have a narrative that we develop in our storytelling that helps us get over it. And when someone comes in and says, actually, I want to retell that story to you, that that can be quite hard. And I think what was really amazing in in sort of making the film and then showing it to all the people that were involved in it is is that there was this kind of real feeling of cathartism, of being, that that was a really hard experience and a really challenging time. But look what it led to, that the ideas, the product, the, the vision of making things, all, all of that was, was right. All of that was the, 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 the right way to do it and the way in which we all now have our products shows that. But it, it came because of all of the work that they did. And actually, it isn't a failure at all um, because everyone at General Magic had a contribution to the technologies that we all use today, um, the things that we can't really live our lives without now. Um, So, yeah, being able to challenge those kind of preconceptions that are are pretty cemented uh, was a joy to see. And then I think from a sort of wider uh, perspective, you know, being able to tell a story about engineers who too often are stereotyped as unfeeling, uh, very methodical and and very emotionless to show that these are real people with real emotions that really hurt when things go wrong. I think is really important because... So often we think about Silicon Valley just through the lens of founders, and uh, sometimes those founders don't have the most expressive of emotions, so it's really important, I think, you see that that it's real people that are making the technological products that we all use, that a real amount of heart has gone into the making of them. Because I think that's what hopefully will inspire people to go into the same field, to create the next technological prog- uh, products or, you know, whatever career that they want to go into. It, it requires people with huge amounts of emotional int- uh, intelligence and intensity in order to create things.
0: Right. And you can see it in the film and the people I mentioned, Megan Smith, Andy Hertzfeld, Tony Fidel, uh, and let's see who else. Joanna Hoffman, John Scully, Kevin Lynch, and all of those people you, it comes across in the film that they're the not only is there sort of a nostalgic quality reflecting on what they were and what they went through and all of those all of the things that you would imagine for especially when you are literally living in the building where you're trying to create a business. Ah, uh, trying to make it work, putting everything you can into it, and it comes across in their reflections on the, on their experiences at General Magic, um, and and it's just it it's one of the things that really pulls you into this experience of watching the film uh, General Magic. By the way, for people who want to find out more about the film screenings and all that, GeneralMagicTheMovie.com dot com is a great place to go. Uh, Mark, I want to ask you a, sort of a two part question in terms of this experience for you. Uh, and there is a moment in the film where, where you're sharing the personal cost of what this time at General Magic in terms of what it was uh, about for your personal life, your family life, your marriage, uh, which is, uh, is, is one of those moments in the film. Um, but also in, in that regard, but also, well, go ahead, tell me a little about your own personal uh, reflections on the film.
2: Well, back to a question about the draft, Matt, when I first was invited to participate, my reaction was, absolutely no way, will not do it. Um, That chapter of my life was was, uh, incredibly painful, the end of it, not the beginning of it, but the end of it, and it took years to kind of come to terms with it in a private way and then move on. Uh, and I couldn't imagine, I didn't have the courage, quite frankly, to reopen uh, all of those emotions that had been feelings and, uh, and, and memories that had been sort of packaged and sort of cast out to, to see. <laughs> and they sort of, sort of floated over the, over the horizon. And here it was again. It was going to come back vividly. Uh, I, did, I had no idea how vividly. So I said, no, not going to do it. And I sort of held to that position for quite a while. Um, and it's really to Sarah's credit, the producer's credit, and and others who said it's a, it's it's a story that not only is a good tell for you, but it's it's going to make a difference in a lot of people's lives. You have to do it. And and slowly over time, I began to to sort of accept that. And then I said yes. And uh, even though I said yes, I must say the first couple of um, of interviews, I was pretty guarded. I, mean, I was sort of Editing in real time to make sure that I, you know, that I didn't expose too many feelings, and then, and then I dropped that, and finally, you've seen on, you've seen on the screen what I was finally able to yeah. reach, which was, which was to really be in touch with a, uh, not only the, the joy and the glory of what we were doing and the, the awesomeness of it, which I still feel today, that's the, that's the dominant feeling, but also the uh, the the pain associated with. The damage and, and also the damage to the family, to the marriage. Mm. And that all finally came out in film and and, and on the screen. And when I first saw it at the Tribeca Film Festival, the premiere, uh, World Premiere, it was really hard to watch. But now having seen it a few more times, I think I just now own it. And and it's a story that I'm that I'm kind of grateful that I can share with other people because I know everyone has been through some version of that in their personal and, and other and professional lives.
0: Yeah.
2: It's a universal Story. And so it, it, it's good to participate
0: in it. Yeah. I want to ask a question, and I, I don't want it to sound like I think it may come out, and I, I'm going to ask it, try to ask it, okay. uh, uh, which is putting yourself back in that time, putting yourself back in that, in those, those, that very high-pressure, percolating sort of world that you were living in at that time. I don't want to ask you what you would do differently. I'm trying to trying to get to another point, which is, I mean, you learned a lot. Obviously, you're talking as you're talking about this. I'm hearing, you know, what what you came through it and the pain of it. Um, is there was there anything in that period of time at what that you said to yourself? because you seem to be somebody in the film especially comes across as you were not only the head of this company, but you were, you were, you were the visionary for the company. You were the philosopher for this company. And you, as you've said in the film, you got it. When you thought about it, you thought where the, where the, where the, where, where the future of, of communications was going, where the future of our technologies were going, you got it. And you, and you were able to in pull all of these people into that vision. Is there, was there a, Any time in that period of time when you, before you got to the end, where your your level, did you how did you how did you change in that little frame of reference that I'm talking about? And I'm sorry, I'm so indelicate with this question, but what was there something in that period of time that you look back on and say that was the time that was the fork in the road? Gosh, Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure if this is a good question.
2: (laughs) I think maybe one of the reasons it's hard to ask that question is everyone has that fork in the road. Uh, it, you know it's it's you know I, the phrase you know would have should have you can finish the phrase could have and or or the phrase if i had known then what i finish the phrase what i know now. So all of us have those kinds of notions of starting something, you need to start something it's, it's hard to end it. Is starting something with enormous optimism and joy and in spirit and curiosity and passion and then it kind of doesn't work out. And I think that actually I think that and sort of captured that very moment. Yeah. Uh, when it wasn't going well. You know, the sales weren't there. And I felt that first, you know, zap that, that first piece of what is you know, what one doesn't expose when you're a leader of a company or a leader of a group, you don't expose fear and terror. Because when you're a leader People cue off your, what you say and your demeanor. It's one of the one aspects, you know, CEOs say that it's lonely being a CEO. Well, what does that mean? Because you're surrounded by interesting people all the time. The answer is that, that, that one, that I found that I had to create um, two selves that couldn't be entirely integrated or authentic. One was the one that maintained the, the, the clarity and the strength and the correctness and the the drive of, of what we were doing was was a very good thing to do, yeah. and the other one was a pri- private personal fear. Uh oh, this may not work. Now that that fear or that anxiety percolated, it, it and and people understood that because they're super smart. You know? <laughs> so so then I didn't have to be inauthentic. I was, I was able to share the fear and the anxiety yeah. of other people, but it was pretty clear that when we shipped it. And it didn't just just rock and roll. There was a problem, and that it was we were, we had been working so hard for such a long time that it would be hard for us to fix the problems that we knew that we had. And by then we were very conscious of what those problems were, and what we could have should have done, uh, you know, multiple years beforehand to you know to avoid those problems. Yeah. By then it was too late. So. That's
0: it. There you go. Well, I really thank you for that answer. I, I again, I apologize for my inarticulateness in the in asking it, but thank you. That was uh, um, the film again is General Magic, and you can find out more about General Magic at the website generalmagicthemovie.com. And I want to thank both of you for being here today on Film School. This is a, it is a wonderful documentary, and it's it really is an honor to be able to not only talk to you but also help promote a film that really writes history in a way that is appropriate for what happened to this incredible enterprise called General Magic. And um, thank you both so very much for being here on Film School today. Thank
1: you, Mike. Yeah, lovely talking to you. Thanks, Mike.
0: Thank you very much. We've been speaking with okay. Matt Maud as well as the uh, the co-director of the film, as well as the subject, Mark Peratt. Thank you both very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.